when someone receives a kidney transplant, immunosuppressive drugs prevent organ rejection. However, Medicare covers the cost of immunosuppressives for only 36 months. Too often, this policy results in organ recipients losing their transplants and returning to dialysis, a much more expensive alternative. In the current debate about health care reform, there is bipartisan agreement that extending immunosuppressive benefits for the lifetime of a transplant makes good clinical and economic sense. However, the U.S. Senate removed this addition from the recent health care reform bill. Some think that the exclusion of immunosuppressive drug coverage represents a victory for big business over the needs of patients, while others claim that inclusion could harm dialysis patients. In contrasting editorials appearing in a forthcoming issue of the Clinical Journal of the American Society of Nephrology, two prominent transplant physicians discussed the complex issues involved in this legislative process. In this episode of ASN Kidney News Podcast, Paul Smedberg, ASN Director of Policy and Public Affairs, interviews David J. Cohen, M.D. of the Columbia University School of Medicine and Brian Becker, M.D. of the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine as well as CJSON editor William Bennett, M.D. Dr. Becker speaks on behalf of the National Kidney Foundation. Dr. Becker, in your editorial, you discuss a conflict of responsibility uh, bearing down on the National Kidney Foundation. Can you describe what you meant by that in the context of this whole immunosuppressive debate? The opportunity to provide immunosuppressive medications to transplant recipients for the lifetime of their transplant is incredibly logical. What occurred in this context that put the National Kidney Foundation into a conflict of responsibility was congressional directives and the legislative process that was trying to drive a compromise on a larger agenda, the entirety of healthcare reform. And it, in essence, pitted the support for the patients on dialysis in one particular way, which was including the medications that would be the oral medications that patients would take when they're on dialysis with the other medications they would need to take on dialysis as a pay for the lifetime immunosuppressive coverage. And the difficulty with that from the perspective of the National Kidney Foundation, an organization that is dedicated to improving the well-being of patients and families affected by kidney disease, is the economic impact of including oral medications in the way medications were then to be paid for in dialysis with the change in that reimbursement structure on the horizon as of January 1, 2011. That change by including those oral medications was going to significantly alter the ability for patients to get the medications they likely would need It was going to potentially put them at risk for a number of other medical complications as a result of not necessarily getting all or the right medications that they might need. And that's the patient population that we would hope, too, would be well prepared for transplantation sometime in the future. And being put in a position whereby the National Kidney Foundation was being counseled from many different sides to do one thing, do another thing look at this, this is a logical immunosuppressive benefit, take this. This is a problem with regards to a patient constituency, in particular dialysis patients, and ultimately patient safety. What the National Kidney Foundation realized is that we were in a circumstance where 
one group of patient stakeholders, dialysis patients, was potentially being sacrificed for another group of patient stakeholders, transplant patients. And that's not something organizationally that's easy to reconcile. And more important, there was no real positive sense that we were going to be able to mediate and achieve an improvement on the pay-for issue for the inclusion of the oral medications and not get away from the pay-for that was being laid out for us. So we were placed as an organization into a circumstance whereby one patient group was very much being put potentially at risk and another patient group was going to benefit. And that's a difficult conflict. That's the conflict of responsibility the NKF was facing at that juncture. I know some people on the Hill saw the conflict potentially as being the dialysis industry versus the transplant patients. The impression was it put many people in a very awkward situation. Do you agree with that? To the extent the NKF has and will continue to be a voice for the entire patient constituency that is the kidney patient population, this type of circumstance was very awkward. To the extent that the National Kidney Foundation, as do many kidney organizations, has relationships with many entities that are involved in the kidney care world and kidney care health delivery, I think there was some concern that those relationships were compromising the judgment of the National Kidney Foundation in some way. And again, my reason for framing this situation as it evolved as a conflict of responsibility has less to do with those relationships and far more to do with the clear observation that the NKF as an organization was being asked to make a judgment, and a theoretical one, a predictive one, of whether or not one patient constituency, the dialysis patient population, could do well with far less in the absence of defined parameters. Remember, this was occurring before the technical expert panels were convened, before we knew that quality measures might be in place in a bundling situation, and even now we don't have those. So we were being asked to potentially compromise patient care and patient safety for a large patient group to benefit another. And that's not to dispute the positive intent to advance immunosuppressive immunosuppression and to make that a reality, one which we believe in, but not a circumstance where we as an organization felt we could prioritize and indeed sacrifice a patient constituency for another. Dr. Cohen, you're a prominent transplant physician as well, and you're very active with the American Society of Transplantation. Within the context of this entire debate, did AST itself have a conflict of responsibility bearing down on it as it related to this issue? I don't think there was any conflict of responsibility for AST. Of course, the, the Medicare benefit for dialysis goes on for the lifetime of the patient at a much greater cost than annual cost than uh, the Medicare benefit uh, while it's being paid for people on, on transplant. And you know, for over a decade, I think, the AST has been lobbying for an extension of immunosuppressive drug coverage. In fact, the Institute of Medicine, uh, over a decade ago, stated that this is something that obviously should be done in a report on stage renal disease. So it, it did seem like a no-brainer, and it was it did pass the House in the House version of the health bill, and it was kind of introduced as an amendment in the Senate bill, and then ultimately withdrawn. And the, the pairing, of, of course, of this with the bundling 
bundling issue in the, for dialysis patients was clearly unfortunate. There is an estimated cost for extending immunosuppressive drug coverage, and uh, of course, the, one of the priorities in this Health Reform Act was to try and address budget issues in the long term. And so, this was paired up with what was would be a cost savings uh, for Medicare in terms of the bundling. There really wasn't a conflict in particular for AST. The bundling issue has been out there for some time, and I think Medicare has basically stated that bundling will occur independent of uh, this Health Reform Act. The proposed rule in last September, this is what Medicare has said is it needs to happen. It was the opinion of AST that the, the bundling was going to happen regardless. If it didn't happen in association with this, it was going to happen independently. We were assured of that up on the Hill. It just happened to be put together in a way that would actually benefit the transplant patients. Dr. Cohen, why is the bundling issue so important to you as it relates to the immunosuppressive issue? Well, it was important to us because it was basically lobbying you know, by the dialysis industry against this proposed combined provision of the bundling and the immunosuppressive extension coverage that essentially killed the immunosuppressive amendment. There was a, a lot of concern up on the Hill that there's enough controversy already in the Health Reform Act, and uh, as we all know enough difficulty in getting it passed and uh, everything that had to happen, and anything that added additional controversy and wasn't essential, there was a lot less taste to get engaged in. And when the, once the dialysis industry, uh, with their deep pockets, uh, began to lobby heavily against it, that just raised enough concerns and questions that the provision did not ultimately get into the bill passed by the Senate. As you know, the reconciliation process was somewhat a tortured process, one could say, and it was certainly not reintroduced during that process. And so we assume had it actually gone through in the Senate and had a great deal of support in the Senate initially, would have been in the final Health Reform Act. Dr. Becker, how did the oral issue influence NKF's deliberations as it relates to the immunosuppressive transplant issue? The surprise was, in fact, summer of 2009, the recognition that there was now new counsel being provided from congressional staffers as it related to aspects of the bundling proposal, in particular, the inclusion of oral medications, as I noted, as a, quote, pay for, unquote, for the immunosuppressive benefit. The bundling proposal has clearly been on the table, as has been cited, for a period of time as a result of legislation passed in 2008, the Medicare Improvement for Providers and Patients Act. The operational implementation of the bundling proposal, however, has been, as many people in the kidney healthcare community know, a work in progress and not one that has had well-defined guidelines or rules and one that has had a multitude of conversations but has also had differential input at various points in time. The change in approach to bundling with this particular feature of it, that is the inclusion of the oral medication, raised some additional questions that certainly the National Kidney Foundation internally examined, which had to do with what are the true costs of the medications that patients require for their dialysis treatments, and how would that be altered by this particular inclusion? And so a lot of internal work went into generating pro forma, looking at the expenses that could be obtained from various organizations, as well as market-based using average wholesale pricing, to really identify what this expense was and to begin to look at how 
this particular feature had the potential to significantly compromise components of care delivery for patients on dialysis and to try and understand that both as an important separate issue but to also really raise the point that it would not be necessarily appropriate to compromise patient safety and appropriate medication dosing for one patient constituency, especially if it was going to place one patient group in contrast to another for some degree of change in benefit. Do you think there were some members of Congress who intentionally or maybe unintentionally ended up pitting organizations against each other to, to for other political ends? I think it might be best to ask the staffers and those members of Congress that question. <laughs> it would be inappropriate of me to speculate about how individuals might have been trying to work from the congressional process, but I think that's a fair question to ask, in particular the staffers and the representatives and of the representatives and senators who were most intimately involved with kidney health care issues. Dr. Cohen, would you like to take a stab at that? Well, I wouldn't really disagree. I think it's. Uh, I think they were clearly they were lobbied on different sides by different people. As AST said, we only know for sure what we said to them, and uh, really not entirely what else was said. We do know that some things were public. A letter went from Kidney Care Partners, and the letter went from uh, several members of the Congressional Black Caucus, indicating a lack of support for the provision and concern about the bundling. But we only know really what was public. I wonder if I could ask Brian a, a question. I, I fully understand the position that the National Kidney Foundation felt it was in, but in light of the fact that everybody knows that this is in the best interest to change the bundling for the large dialysis organizations, and because the large dialysis organizations happened to be a major sponsor of the National Kidney Foundation, don't you think it would have been more appropriate if you had the interests of all the, the patients that you serve at heart to have taken a position that said just that? We think that this is adverse for dialysis patients, but we strongly support the immunosuppressive benefit, so therefore we're going to be neutral on this issue and let the large dialysis organizations, which do have dogs in the fight, do the heavy lifting here. Instead of appearing, and I'm not accusing you personally of anything, but uh, appearing to the outside world, including the transplant community, as if you did favor one group of patients over another, namely the dialysis patients over the transplant patients. I know that's difficult to, to answer, but wouldn't, in retrospect, wouldn't it have been better to take a more balanced, neutral position on this? It's an interesting and reasonable question. I think the National Kidney Foundation has been a diligent partner with as much of, and indeed, I hope, the entirety of the kidney healthcare community as it looks to meet its mission. I might suggest that the National Kidney Foundation is not primarily sponsored by large dialysis organizations. And so I think that if that's an underlying perception from individuals in the kidney community, I think that's one that I would like to at least work to change over time because there are a multitude of entities that help support the NKF in its efforts. 
Sorry to interrupt, but you, you can't deny that some of the NKF products, like the Doki product and others, are supported by industry. I mean, you wouldn't deny that, would you? No. I think it's, we've been very open in identifying both where there has been support and also a change in our entire process over the last two to three years. So we have a consortium of entities that are supporting a lot of what we do that really is working to advance, if you're going to cite guidelines, evidence-based care that we can use throughout the entire kidney healthcare community to improve patient outcomes. And so we view how we want to do things as both evolutionary quality-driven partnerships. And I think if I come back to the, the primary point that you're, you're raising, there are probably many ways that one could go back and retrospectively identify how different communications might or might not have been more effective. It's difficult for me to go back and redo history. I think it's very important that everyone understand that certainly the NKF presented a lot of its transplant efforts, and in particular, lifetime immunosuppression as a key cornerstone of its End the Weight program to kidney care partners in April 2009. So the entity that is a key collaborative entity for a number of different healthcare organizations involved in kidney care and other organizations, such as obviously the one that, that supports CJS in the ASN, has been party to where the NKF wanted and wants to go with key transplant efforts in the United States, which has included the lifetime immunosuppressive benefit for all the logical reasons that have been stated. How communications from an organization that are not the National Kidney Foundation's direct communications come out is difficult for me to cite how to control that. And I think one thing that we certainly recognized as an organization in response to much of the dialogue with the American Society of Transplantation was how to build diligently the case that I certainly continue to want to put out there that we don't want to sacrifice one patient constituency for another. Dr. Becker, you, you seem to, in, in your answer there, seem to be focusing in on the future. So how do you see us moving forward together as a renal community to achieve uh, this important goal? The National Kidney Foundation had provided a couple different options for how the lifetime immunosuppressive benefit could have been accomplished even at the time that much debate was raging about this. And I think one of the most optimal things that has occurred subsequent to the passage of the healthcare reform legislation is that direct dialogue between the American Society of Transplantation and the NKF has fostered a set of ideas to go back and look at how this particular agenda item, that is extending this immunosuppressive benefit, can be placed into different types of potential legislation, including most recently discussion of how it might go ultimately into true physician payment reform legislation in some way how to incorporate that dialogue and make certain that the groups such as the American Society of Nephrology, the American Society of Pediatric Nephrology, and indeed other entities that have important 
stakeholder roles, I think is uh, a mechanism that we're trying to figure out best how to help work with people to craft. And we're using initially communications, such as our communications directly with organizations, to get the new positions out there in the community. Dr. Cohen, how about at AST? How do you see us moving forward as a renal community to address the immunosuppressive issue? Many opportunities at this point to advance the immunosuppression coverage uh, on its own through all the lobbying and the education that was done during the process of the Health Reform Act passing. It's evident that there's an enormous amount of support for immunosuppression extension coverage, and uh, we're hoping it can be passed somewhat on its own or attached to another bill. So I think there's a good opportunity to do that, and I there's virtually nobody who's against extending coverage, you know, as a standalone bill. So I think there's a, you know, we're hopeful that that will get through. The only thing I would say is that, you know, we did make the point earlier that because of the lack of immunosuppressive coverage beyond 36 months, many patients are already being sacrificed. And by lobbying against the bill, in fact, the transplant patients were sacrificed to a theoretical concern for the dialysis population. So it isn't quite that... Uh, the status quo isn't sacrificing anybody. The transplant patients are being sacrificed, and AST conducted a survey in order to provide the better information up on the Hill to assess the impact of the limit of coverage. Prior studies had shown when the coverage went from one year to three years that it was a direct benefit, particularly in patients in the living in low-income zip codes, that transplant success rates improved directly as a, as a result of that. And our survey indicated, you know, extensive experience in the transplant community that uh, the lack of immunosuppressive coverage beyond 36 months causes uh, inability to pay for drugs. Almost every center uh, has experienced the patients who have lost their grafts, as well as the patients who don't get listed. And so the tr transplant community is already being sacrificed. Well, clearly the healthcare debate on the Hill is, is not going away anytime soon. There are going to be a lot of revisions and opportunities, I think, to bring this up again. So, uh, Dr. Bennett, any closing remarks? I, I really appreciate uh, the discussion, the dialogue. I, I think it's useful for people to understand, and in a perfect world, we could go back and do this again. <laughs> but I agree strongly with David Cohen. There's no reason for the amount of money we're talking about with the scope of the changes in health care that this logical cost-saving maneuver can't be undertaken, and I hope, would hope that all of the uh, organizations, including ASN, NKF, AST, RPA, and everybody else would get behind this and, with a single voice, get Congress to do the right thing and the logical thing here. Well, that is something I think we can all definitely agree on. And Dr. Becker and Dr. Cohen, thank you for your participation on this and for your uh, straightforward answers uh, here this morning. Thank you very much. Thank you for the opportunity to discuss these issues. ASN Kidney News is a publication of the American Society of Nephrology. The ideas and opinions expressed by participants in ASN Kidney News podcasts are their own and do not necessarily reflect the positions of the society. To lead the fight against kidney disease, ASN helps its 11,000 members provide high-quality care to patients, conduct cutting-edge research, and educate the next generations of kidney care professionals. To learn more about ASN or Kidney News, please visit the Society's website at asn-online.org. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the American Society of Nephrology.